0: It's Kits 104.1, Atlanta's R&B, and Nina Brown. Yes, sir. Do you know that this is Autism Month? Autism Awareness Month, indeed. Autism Awareness Month, and it is a subject that has gotten a lot of attention and keeps getting more and more and more and more attention as we go along. Right now, they are saying that 1 in 59 Mm. children, 1 in 59 are the new numbers that are coming out. And on the phone with us, we have Dr. Emmerglock, who was here speaking to us earlier. We were talking about the COVID-19 and the vaccine. And we also have Dr. Leslie Rubin, who is a developmental pediatrician and associate professor in the Department of Pediatrics and medical director of the Rubin Center for Autism and Developmental Pediatrics. Welcome to you both. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Emmerglock, the last time you were here, we were talking about the fear of especially folks in the african-american community uh, of getting the covid shot and one of the things we said was that people are fearful of getting the shots because a lot of people thought that even the autism rates increasing had to do with vaccines and you explained that that wasn't true but how often in your practice do you see parents that become worried about how my children got the autism or is on the autism spectrum
1: i think if- Especially given the media attention and some of the folks who are in the entertainment world and have you know, come out speaking and trying to address about the association of possible autism with vaccination has done a disservice to the community of understanding and promoting the importance of vaccination among all of our infants and children. And so I encounter that question a lot among parents who come in who question whether or not they want to put their child at risk because of their fear about uh, their child developing autism that might be tied to the vaccine. And what I've stated to them, and same as I give the lecture to medical students, is that there's a lot of research been done on this topic, especially as it relates to the measles, mumps, vaccine and autism. And there is no causal association that's been found through, I'll say, hundreds of studies. So the Institute of Medicine came out with a strong statement many years ago to state that. But I think the lay community, break it down into why they're concerned about that. What's the worry? And that helps them understand and address some of the fears at the root of
0: it. Mm. Dr. Rubin, I, I said earlier that in 2018, the CDC issued their ADDM autism prevalence report <laughs> and saying that the prevalence of autism had risen to one in every 59, twice as much as in the year 2004. Why do you think the rate or the prevalence rate is going up?
2: A very good question. The main reason is that we are identifying the diagnosis more and more. There are some situations where it may be due to environmental factors, and we're trying to tease that out, but it is definitely not vaccines. The question of vaccines and autism was started in the 1980s with the MMR, and it's kind of undergone some a variety of different mutations, and still the anxiety remains. The reason being that we really don't know exactly what causes autism, but we think there's some genetic element, some epigenetic element, and some environmental factors. And the environmental factors are not the vaccines because autism is actually a condition that arises from before birth, not after birth. It's got to do with the wiring of the brain, and that takes place long before birth in the development of the brain and the increase in the rate of autism or the prevalence of autism is definitely related to our greater appreciation of the diagnostic characteristics of the autism spectrum
0: so for people that are listening in layman's term what is autism
2: Autism is a neurodevelopmental condition that arises before birth and is associated with difficulty with communication, interaction, and socialization and some unusual patterns of behavior. It's a constellation of characteristics and it varies from individual to individual and that makes it even more confusing because every individual is completely different from every other individual. So each individual is unique and each individual on the autism spectrum is a unique individual
3: and to confirm is it correct to say that black boys um have autism at a significantly higher rate than all other genders and ethnicities
2: no the rate of autism spectrum or the prevalence of autism spectrum among black boys and white boys is the same. And in fact, the latest CDC report attests to that fact. It's um, actually the the prevalence has been upgraded Uh, to one in 54. And the reason it has changed is because we're beginning to identify and recognize the condition among black boys. And the problem was that it was, there were not enough services, diagnostic services for black kids compared to white kids. So for many years, it was thought that was only a prevalence in white kids, but that's not true. It's among all groups, among all populations uh, equally. It just occurs more in boys than in girls.
0: When a person has a child, what are some of the signs that they need to look for to see if there's a possibility that their child is on the autism spectrum?
2: Often the first sign that parents identify is that the child is not speaking as well as he or she should. The other signs are that the child may not make as good eye contact or that the child may not relate or respond as well as they would expect. But the most common relates to speech development. What's interesting, if you only go with eye contact or only go with speech, is that some kids on the autism spectrum may speak very well early on. Some kids with autism spectrum may make good eye contact. So it really is a combination of facts.
0: All right. Dr. Emmer Gluck, let me ask you this question. As a practicing general pediatrician, what do you tell parents when they come in and they have concerns Mm -hmm. that their child may be on the autism spectrum?
1: I think one is you make sure that I have... Developmental pediatrician that I'm going to refer them to, but in general, I think we we have to go over a little bit about where those concerns are. What are their symptoms that they see or signs that they see? Uh, because a lot of times, you know, when kids are babies, they do things and they're very similar to their friends' babies or their cousins or whatever. But as they get to be walking and talking, you start to pick up some differences uh, that children have. I think at those times when they come in for their well-child visit, that we assess them for developmental milestone. And we talk about whether or not parents are concerned about whether they think that their child has met certain milestones. I think it's important to make sure that they the parents are heard about their the symptoms that they are worried about and then have a plan as far as to monitor it, as far as to follow up with those symptoms.
0: Dr. Rubin, going back to you, when a child who was diagnosed on the autism spectrum, and, and, and let's talk about that for a minute because I said that term and maybe people don't know what that right. means. Could you explain what that means?
2: So I just want to give you a little background that originally when the diagnosis of autism was first described, it was in the early 1940s, and they described the most dramatic pictures of autism where kids didn't speak or relate or interact and in their own world. And in fact, the word autism means self, auto in their own world Mm. and often engaged in repetitive behaviors. Over the successive decades, we began to appreciate more and more kids who were on the milder uh, form of expression of the autism spectrum until the 1990s when we identified a condition called Asperger's syndrome at the time where kids were very bright and very articulate and yet they had characteristics that were similar to kids with autism. And for a long time, we understood three different diagnoses, classic autism, which was very rare, pervasive developmental disorder, which was very common and a milder form of autism, and Asperger's syndrome, which was not so rare, but uh, also less common than the middle range. In the 2013, the American Psychiatric Association came out with the, the, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual saying we are not using those terms anymore we're only using the term autism spectrum disorders. And so they put all the different expressions of the autism spectrum under one umbrella, the autism spectrum disorders. So whether a child speaks or relates or interacts at all, or whether a child is very bright, they are still diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. And that's why there's such a wide range of expression. That's why making the diagnosis is so confusing, and that is why um, it is actually difficult to make a diagnosis because there's no blood test or X-ray or MRI or any test that we can do that says yes or no. We have to understand the constellation of characteristics, developmental characteristics in speech and language, communication, interaction, and socialization, and interaction with the environment.
0: My son, when he was younger, we had worries that something was wrong because the school started contacting us and saying that, you know, he should go and see a developmental pediatrician. And they never really diagnosed him as that, but they started talking about it as in the sense of he was closer toward the Asperger side of the spectrum. So he got great grades in school, always to himself, very bright. When he hung out with his twin brothers or brothers, you couldn't really tell. But we knew. And as he got older, um, certain things became more difficult. But when COVID hit and he was at school and they had to do all of their stuff online, his grades Mm -hmm. really suffered because it was all online and there was no interaction with the teacher. So it was a little bit more difficult for him. What kind of issues have you both been hearing as far as how? kids on the spectrum have been operating with autism during the shutdown and COVID and online schooling and like.
2: I'm just going to take a jump here and respond to your description of your son's difficulty. Um, I find it variable from child to child. Some children who need that structure and predictability and interaction and engagement that a school offers suffer significantly. They suffer in their grades, they suffer emotionally, and they might develop some behavior challenges that they didn't have before. On the other hand, there are some kids who actually thrive on being at home and working from the screen rather than struggling with their difficulties in socializing and interacting with others. So it really varies from individual to individual. And in all cases, we need to know that each individual child on the autism spectrum is a unique individual and we have to address the needs of that individual in the context of his family and in in the context of his or her community.
3: Wow. You know, I think it's so important. You know, I'm a mom of two boys and I think um, as a parent, the most important thing for me was always making sure I had pediatricians and doctors who I felt cared were concerned with my child's development and listen to me as a mom. And it's just refreshing to hear both of you who are so passionate about doing that. Is there any contact information we can share with our listeners to reach out to you, Dr. Rubin?
2: Yes, um, they can look on our website, the Rubin Center for Autism and Developmental Pediatrics. And you know what? We can see people through Zoom wherever they are in the country.
3: And just to clarify what Dr. Emmer Gluck referenced earlier, so they would have to get a referral to see. You through their current pediatrician?
2: No, they do not necessarily need to get the referral. Okay. Um, I have two places where I see them one is in a private practice and one is in a hospital clinic. In the hospital clinic, they'll need to get a referral, and in the private practice, they do not need a
1: referral. Okay. And just to clarify, I meant that I would contact my developmental pediatrician. Okay. in the order to help me because I think one of the things that Dr. Rubin emphasized is the individuality and I find that important as a parent and also as a primary care physician in the sense that everybody has individual factors. Mm-hmm. They have factors that are the way they were born and then their environmental, their social environmental as well as economic factors. And I really do think that that impacts uh, the signs and symptoms and not any two children necessarily exactly alike in how they present and so for me that's that's why I kept emphasizing the listening part because I think that it is a spectrum and I, I think sometimes school systems put pressure on parents to go and like get a diagnosis and you know come back with a magic plan. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that not thinking about the individual and wanting to put people into nice neat boxes when that's actually not necessarily the best strategy.
0: Mm-hmm. Agreed, 100%. Well, I just want to say thank you both for such insightful information for everyone considering that this is Autism Awareness Month. We appreciate you, Dr. Emma Gluck, for always being available. And Dr. Rubin, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us today.
2: Thank you, guys. Thank you very much.